Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but, Dan, the annuals don't count. Well, welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, everyone, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Yeah, Dan, this is this is quite the review episode because on this show we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 50.LR and number 51 slash Legacy 852. But first on the list, it's going to be that LR issue. Oh, man, I this is killing me, Dan. Uh, that's written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Federico Vincentini, colors by uh, Marcio Menez, and I am just butchering these names, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga, and a cover by Sarah Pacelli and R- Rochelle Rosenberg. And this issue was released on October 21st, 2020. Dan, you know how I feel about these issues that, you know, are kind of outside of the the normal numbering scope of Amazing Spider-Man, but I guess we're going to review it anyway, so why don't we get to it? What's Yeah, you know, but really quick note, Mark, I could change the intro to the show and not force you to read all of these names, but I think there's an inherent charm <laughs> to me forcing you through this gauntlet of increasingly foreign names on these books. I mean, you know, it's at least I'm not like saying what, Sanjani, Sajani, whatever. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think I think we got like our, our first less than five star review based on my pronunciation of, of names. Right. I, 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 I have vague memories of that. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. So, I mean, speaking of weird names, you know, we're going to be looking back on this in, in a few years. How are we going to look back and remember these LR issues are last remains. I mean, how much stranger can we get? I, I, I honestly don't know what a new reader makes of these, but clearly it works with the marketing and sales or they wouldn't keep doing them. And, and honestly, I get it uh, to some degree, although I don't really know why they couldn't just be like, I guess they are issues of Amazing Spider-Man. So I'm hemming a haw here and it's not really worth getting into. But uh, another one of these strange miniseries with these weird fractions and math that would fail you out of any math class you've ever taken. Right. Well, you know, when we last got issues like this, it was during Hunted, and the, each one of these issues kind of focused on one of the villains. Um, so generally the gimmick here is we're focusing on on the spider friends, right? Is that is that 
what I'm being led to believe. At least that's what this issue seems to be focusing on to a degree, right? Yeah, it was interesting because like Peter is also a major driving force of this issue. And if you read the like letters page, the editorial team is clear to spell out. You won't see Peter in this book, in these issues moving forward. This was just the setup for the LR issues. So was this like a point one of the point <laughs> LR issues? Like how far down the rabbit hole are we willing to go here? Oh my God! This is like inception level of 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 Spider Man here, and I, I I I don't know if I'm here for it. Well, Dan, I mean, what I mean, what did you generally think? I mean, for me, like, I mean, I didn't think this was a bad comic by any stretch, but like, you know, in terms of like, oh man, is this an essential part of the story? I don't know. I don't know if it really fit that bill either so far. I, I, I feel like I could have jumped to 51, which we will do later in this episode, and not have missed many beats with, with this issue here. What do you think? Yeah, I largely agree with that. I mean, I think it's you know well-written, and the art is really wonderful. It doesn't feel essential, so to speak. And I guess that technically the dot .LR signifies that it's not. It does fill in a gap from you know issue 50, that was like previously missing, like the kind of action that took place on board the like goblin craft and stuff like that. But it's really mostly just kind of like a character book. And when you can't really reveal more of the twists that are yet to come, you can't really get too deep into the character stuff. I mean, some of the Norman stuff was well written and thoughtful and I like the art, but like there's only so much you can pick there without kind of revealing some of the twists. So it felt like it was kind of, and that's the way I felt about the whole book is the whole thing was kind of operating with handcuffs because it didn't want to get ahead of the story, which is still playing out in the regular issues of the book, except for the kind of big, you know, reveal page at the end, which I think was probably enough for most people to justify purchasing it for one, a spectacular page of art, which we'll talk about and like a reintroduction of a character people have wanted to see for some time. For the most part, like this, this kind of felt like additional window dressing on this story. I mean, like, you know, like it's it's nice to kind of color in these lines a little finer and to get these little character moments and and in further detail. I, I especially liked, again, some of the Norman stuff. I, I keep, you know, maybe it's Spencer. I know Matthew Rosenberg basically scripted this book, but I'm assuming, you know, it came off of a Spencer plot. I, I, I do like what we're seeing out of Norman in all of these books so far. This book kind of continued that trend. I don't know why I'm complaining. I'm going to buy the book no matter what, not only just for this show, but just because I'm a completist. But you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I, I still I still kind of get like these moments of principles where I'm just like, ah, you know, why are they why are they doing this and selling this like like, you know, an essential part of the story? Because it's really not. It's 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 window dressing. But whatever. Let's let's get into some of the finer details here, Dan. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to start, start off with Norman since he's kind of half of this book. You know, I, I too liked the Norman writing. And specifically, I like how much they're kind of pinning down their characterization of Norman. You know, this this book explicitly starts with this kind of like uh, dual natured look at Peter and, uh, you know, Peter as Spider-Man and Norman as the Green Goblin as mirrors of each other in some way and, and, and even uses this kind of neat mirror imagery to talk about Norman and his other or the Green Goblin, so to speak. And I honestly really like seeing the split personality Norman uh, back in the pages of this book, even if he has discarded his other personality, because I feel like 
over the years, we've gotten Norman and the Goblin kind of as one in the same. And here it feels like a guy who's truly a victim to madness and even conjures, like I said, that mirror uh, imagery, which was made so famous by the Sam Raimi movie in that wonderful scene. And so I really like that. This is, I think, an important kind of symbolic visual to be kind of crafting here if I'm Spencer, especially if, you know, the reveal that we got at the end of the last issue of Amazing is exactly as it appears, uh, which is that Kindred is is Harry. I feel like kind of like having the, the, the duality and the mirror play between Norman and the Goblin and Peter and Spider-Man and kind of having Harry as this new monster Kindred in the middle. I think it's a kind of an interesting little dynamic that is being established here about how, you know, the, the, the duality of both of these characters has in essence created the duality of this new character. You know, is that, am I making sense? Am I getting to, you know, college level philosophy class here, Dan, but you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I feel like this is setting up a, a larger thematic point and I think it's being done in, in very intelligent, well fleshed out ways. And, and I, I, I appreciate kind of the craft that's going on here in terms of, of setting up these characters here. Well, I like that you say college level philosophy. And I, I know that that can sometimes be wielded as like an insult. You know, like this is just, you know, psych 101 or whatever, or philosophy 101. And in, in this case, I love that kind of like, even if it isn't like, a, it's like, like mid ground thought. You know, I think that's kind of where JMS's books often operated. It's like in kind of like popular uh, philosophy. And in that a lot of this book over the past two years has really felt like a, uh, a JMD. Did I say JMS earlier? A JMD kind of uh, homage or at least in the spirit of JMD. And I think this story feels very at, at home in, in that regard, especially for dealing with this kind of evil Harry stuff. You know, I, I think the, the voice of this book is actually really fitting. Like and these kind of concepts feel right at home with the tone of the book right now. And so I, I appreciate that. And, and there's it's, it's actually, I think, a pretty thoughtful, uh, like a thoughtfully written character for his psychology, uh, specifically this, this interesting idea that Norman seems to blame himself for Kindred, not only that he taunted the character, but we get these flashy images of the death of Gwen and him like pushing Harry, which again cuts back to those that like period of time of innocence being destroyed in this universe, we don't get the Flash Thompson stuff, although I don't think Norman was directly responsible other than for Flash Thompson's death, which I guess a pivotal moment in one's life I or mean, or the end of one's life. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it's comics, so it might not actually be the end of his life uh, <laughs> if we really apply the rules of comics here. But I also like that it was mirrored back on like Peter blaming himself for the situation as well, even if I don't feel like that was really sold particularly all that well in the previous issues that like it was his decision to throw Norman out the window that kicked all this thing into gear. I still don't know that that moment was played up for all that, but like comparing these two gives it some kind of like uh, tying Norman and Peter back together again. I find interesting. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, I mean, you, you, you had mentioned here that, you know, like obviously Norman is blaming himself for kindred here and, and, and obviously calls him out explicitly as Harry, just as he did at the end of the last issue of Amazing. I mean, are we, as readers, being 
led to believe that there is any chance for an additional swerve here? Or are we really just seeing things as they are, Dan? What do you think? If you ask my opinion, which I think we're going to get to more when we talk about issue 51, I think we can pretty comfortably rest on this being some version of Harry Osborne, although I certain wouldn't, certainly wouldn't rule out another swerve. Uh, I just think that there are additional complications, to say the least. I, I think it just being Harry Osborne, whether that is pre One More Day or Harry Lyman, I think is just the beginning of the story. And I think the themes involved here are far broader than just like any kind of revenge story. I think undoing a reveal like that, a la the Hobgoblin or whatever, is not something he's keen on doing here. I think we can rest solidly, just anticipate great complications. (laughs) There would have to be. You know, I know that there was some speculation at the end of the last issue, like, oh, well, Norman sees him as Harry, but does does the rest of the world see him as Harry? I I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I think people are going to, people who want to believe it's Harry are going to believe it's Harry, frankly. And I think people who, you know, are still holding on to other theories about Kindred or, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, do you know, is there still an out youth in your mind that this is not quite exactly how it seems right now? I mean, I guess there technically is, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like we're we as readers are being led to operate under the assumption that this is some version of Harry Osborne. And yeah, the, the story itself is going to kind of flesh out more about what the actual mystery is here. Yeah, I mean, they could pull like an Obi-Wan and be like, oh, from a certain point of view, it's Harry, right? And that point of view is Norman's point of view. I could very well see them doing that. I just right now, I can't foresee that. So I have to just kind of go with what's being presented, which probably would have you know, uh, served me better in the long run to just have accepted that it's Harry from the time that we first guessed it. You know me, I'm looking for complications and here I'm just kind of ready to just let it play out because I think I know where it's going, but I can't say for sure. Do we want to talk a little bit about the power of Kindred here in this book in terms of the order of the spider and those characters? I mean, since that, I mean, especially since it seems like that's what the book is going to ultimately end up focusing on as we get further into it. Yeah, sure. It's interesting because it seems to be about like all these different spider characters that are going to be taking up an own issue of their own, a la the, you know, villains and hunted. But then the real question is like, if as in this story presents it, they're possessed by kindred and he's talking through them. Are, are, are we going to be just getting more kindred, but just in the bodies of these characters? My suspicion is where it's going to be like something like the dreamscape, or it's going to be superior Spider-Man or get Audi where we're watching people fight in the mindscape or take some control back of their bodies or something like that, uh, or exploring their own personal fears in, in these issues. Th- that's what I suspect is going to ultimately happen throughout these stories. You know, it seems that through these characters, Kindred is taunting Peter with his inability to save his friends, which I mean, is kind of, you know, obviously over the course of, the history of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man is kind of his Achilles heel, obviously his inability, you know, his inability to make the right choice at the right time to save the right people in his life. But, but even beyond that kind of plays, I think at the core of what this character is about, right. In terms of kindred, right. 
that's my thought. I mean, my big suspicion is that, and we'll talk again more about this in 51, that there is some one more day connection here. And at the heart of one more day was saving his family through demonic means. And, you know, he didn't choose to save anyone else. Right. And I, I wonder if that's the avenue of explore, exploration that we're going to be getting, because it does seem to keep hinging on this idea of, you know, kindred asserting something about saving friends, protecting the innocent, things like that. And, and, and the opportunities where Spider-Man perhaps didn't do that. And like, what does it mean for him to make a deal with the devil? And, you know, and that ultimately kind of to come back to him. So I think a line like that in this title was definitely important. What would you think about like kindred kind of controlling these characters remotely and talking to them? I mean, if you really want to say it's kind of the first physical interaction between Spider-Man and kindred and purely in like a communicating sort of way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's super creepy and kind of plays up again, the kind of the, the, the astral qualities of this character, which makes me again, think like, even if this is Harry, I mean, this is this is Harry with a power set that goes above and beyond of what he's ever had before. And we need to get to the bottom of how he's doing this. Right. I mean, like, you know, I, I mean, Norman couldn't Norman at his most powered could not do something like this. How is Harry doing it? Right. I mean, like, you know, I mean, this is clearly a character that is with the power of hell. Right. I mean, like, I mean, is that like even in doubt at this point? I mean, like these are truly like magical demonic powers if it wasn't spelled out in this issue it for sure is like the foot is down on the floor like that they are really making sure that you understand it in 51 like they they might as well just turn to the camera and be like hell right like i mean i'm not trying to get too far ahead of things here but i feel like i mean like it's pretty to me, it's still pretty blatant in this issue. I mean, like, you know, without even getting to the next one. I mean, yes, the next one, like you say, really puts the foot down. But I mean, like, you know, how else is how else is Kindred doing this? I mean, like this is this is like you can't even say like, oh, he he cast some kind of spell per se because you didn't even see him do. I mean, like these are the, the, this is this is a level of power that I don't think Peter has dealt with outside of like what maybe like Moreland or something you know what I mean like in terms of just like these other worldly other dimensional powers so I mean this is this is you know in addition to kind of really selling home that that you know where Kindred is coming from I mean I also think it kind of raises the threat level significantly here that that he's able to do this so so effortlessly and yeah, I mean it's it's a cool vis- I mean it le- lends itself to some really cool visuals but also like I think it really amps the uh the the villain content here. I mean like, you know, Kindred's if if we weren't quite sure what the threat level of Kindred was, I feel like issue this issue kind of really sells it. And he's willing to do things that I think are really dangerous because he knows how Spider-Man works all the way through like allowing his friends' bodies to drown in that ship, he knew in my mind, kindred knew that Spider-Man would go save them. There was never any doubt that those characters were going to drown because he's playing off of Spider-Man's guilt, which is a big word that's used in the next issue uh, regarding his friends. And again, I think that plays into this theme is that like there, there is like uh, he's willing to like sacrifice any and all parts of Spider-Man's world because he knows how Peter is going to respond to it. 
What did you think of Vicentini's art? Like, I, I, this is our second appearance of this artist on this title. You know, last time he was drawing, you know, stuff at Ravencroft. Now he's drawing some like monsters and things. How, what do you think? Is he a good fit for this title? I mean, certainly for this story. I mean, I feel like this was this was really well rendered, and you know, the monsters were were appropriately creepy and demonic looking, and and you know, I, I, overall, I feel like. Visually, this book is is pretty clear. You know, it really reflects the narrative. It keeps it moving. It keeps you know the the creep factor is very high. I mean, we'll say we'll we'll certainly start talking about Patrick Leeson in short order when we get to fifty one. But like, you know, overall, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like the art's never been stronger on Spider Man. Like, I've been really impressed with like who they've been getting. I mean, even like the lesser names they've been getting, I think I've been really bringing it lately on this book. And and that's no, you know, no different here. Yeah. And I, I think Vicentini is like dead in the middle of everybody. He's got a little bit of everyone's strengths. You know, I think he's a really solid storyteller like Mark Bagley. I think he's got a lot of the kind of like adaptable flair of a Patrick Gleason and even the like really heightened stylings of a, uh, what's his face? Uh, Media Blizzard. Why am I forgetting? Bacalo right or no? Yeah, Bacalo. Yeah, uh, okay. Bacalo. Yeah, he's. <laughs> Look at me pulling Media Blizzard out of my butt. And you <laughs> like, I mean, that I was like Media Blizzard, Bacalo. Yahtzee. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just think this guy kind of has like a little bit of everybody's strength. I think he's kind of a perfect fit for this, and his action scenes are really fun, expressive, lots of big punchy, splashy stuff, and kind of scratchier inks. I, I, I really dug his stuff. What about like uh, Matthew Rosenberg? Did you get any sense of this guy from this book and his handle on this world? He worked in that this story still felt very Spencery to me, kind of in the way where when I felt Christos Gage was at his best, it still felt like a dance lot story. You know what I mean? Like, like I feel like Rosenberg has a really good sense of what Spencer is going for and is able to kind of keep the voice similar enough with maybe his own little embellishments where, you know, he wants to make his mark, but like to me, a fit, like I, I, I don't feel narratively tonally this book missed a beat. I mean, that's not to say that I still find it to be an essential book, but (laughs) it didn't miss it, it. It felt at home within this stretch of stories here for sure. Yeah, and um, I I just want to speak more broadly about Rosenberg's career at Marvel for a second. You know, he kind of made his name doing the kind of pre-Dawn of X, Powers of X books, uh, the X-Men titles on, uh, and I, I felt like he was a bad fit for that, although I feel like no writer could have made that run stand out, you know, bef- knowing who was coming down the line to kind of reboot the X-Men and he took a lot of daring risks with it, but it was a really dark book. But I recently had a chance to read his Hawkeye Freefall, which is a, a mini series. And it's one of the best times I've had reading a Marvel book since superior foes. It's like five issues and it's just a blast. It's funny and fun and kind of goes all throughout the Marvel universe with a great character like Hawkeye And I highly recommend it to anybody, but I think, you know, you could get that flair of fun and kind of like jokiness in this title. And I think Rosenberg needs to get more books like this because I think he's actually a really good fit for it. 
and, and, you know, and I think Hawkeye Freefall showed he could really plot something well. So if you kind of slept on Rosenberg after his weird X-Men run, I, I, I can't recommend enough Hawkeye Freefall. And I think this is a good follow up for him. Before we move to grades, do you want to talk about the big like yeah, cliffhanger yeah. ending of this well, thing? Well, I, 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 there was one. Yeah, I want to talk about the big cliffhanger, but I also wanted to kind of like the setup to the cliffhanger. You know, we we got a little more context on Doctor Kafka. I don't want to spend too much time on this, Dan, but like you know, this is this is the I know comics, haha, like anything goes, but like you know. We were talking about, didn't Dr. Kafka die at the end of, what was it, Superior Spider-Man number five or whatever episode, whatever issue that was with, with oh God, what was the villain? The one who shot her, the serial killer. Not Menace. Yeah, it's, um, I almost called him Menace. I'm like, no, it's not Menace. Anyway, you know. It's not Mastermind. It's, anyway. Yeah, the, 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 you know who I'm talking about, people. Anyway, uh, but it's like, oh, but. Dr. Kafka was brought back in, in Dead No More. I'm like, but wait, I thought like everyone who was brought back died in Dead No More. Like, I, uh, like that whole thing is a mess to me. Like, I, like I, I hate using Dead No More as the way as the the way to bring these characters back. Like, I feel like that's just really convoluted. And Massacre. Confusing. Massacre. Thank you. Samsonite. I was way off. That's just my quick rant on like any any editor using dead no more as an excuse to bring a character back right now like just just stop it's really confusing like i don't know have you know maybe maybe mephisto brought her back from the dead just for this story i don't care anyway but kafka kind of like sets up this this thing with norman of like oh you know perhaps there's an intermediary between norman and kindred and then who who is the intermediary potentially dan well, we get a classic MJ moment of a page turn reveal, and there she is in her stunning glory, the return of MJ to New York City. And I thought this reveal was stunning. I mean, it's really telegraphed, which, fine. I mean, in terms of art, like, you know, this guy drew a heck of an MJ, and what a way to debut back in the book. I think it's been a long time coming. I get that she had to have her own really bad miniseries about <laughs> Hollywood. I mean, look, Craven got one. I, I think this book has been really lacking without her, especially if the marriage and all that stuff is going to be at the heart of the story, as I suspect it will. We need to have MJ back and she needs to be back in this and the proper title, I think, to really kind of like land some of those themes. And in my mind, this is a good sign. I'm not sure I quite understand why MJ would like what kind of relationship she has to Norman. I mean, Harry, yes, but Norman, I'm not quite so sure. I mean, I guess he did kill her child. So if, <laughs> if you want to accept that corner of comics, but yeah, uh, whatever, I'm willing to go with it and see what the heck that looks like. How do you do an intermediary between a death, like a hell spawn? I don't know, but we're going to go there. We're going to find out. <laughs> Didn't she like, wasn't there, uh, I'm, uh, it's, it feels like 300 years ago in 800. Didn't she like get some licks in on Norman as carnage at one point in that, in that story? So I don't know, maybe there's history. <laughs> um, am I misremembering that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. She was in the venom symbiote. Yeah. Yeah. I was just say like, she like kind of bailed out Peter at one point. Anyway, why don't we get to some grades here? Dan, what, what are you giving this one? I thought this was a B minus. It's probably generous, but like it was well written. The art was nice. I just did. I didn't mind it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a nudge below you. I'm at C plus. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, same thing. Like, I like, I I can't go much higher than that just for the fact that like, if you miss this, I don't think you're gonna really miss all that outside of the MJ reveal. I don't think you're missing all that much into in terms of where this story is going. And you know, like, if you needed to save the four dollars, like, you know, I think you're okay. At the same token. Like, you know, there's some fun stuff here. It's it's well done for what it is. The art's good. You know, C plus. It's 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 better than average, right? I mean, is that are we are C, is C still average, Dan? I feel like it should still be average. I I'm saying C is is average. Uh, and, and like I said, I think it's it's a bit better than average. I mean, here's the thing. This kept my excitement up for more of Last Remains. You know, like getting a book every week, it just, it feels like brand new day again. I'm like pumped to like go to the store every week and get me some Spider-Man. And that's good. I don't think this is quite like the Gibbon. Yeah. I enjoyed reading this more than I did if it was just a breakout of one of the, the, you know, the, the spider people, which I know is what we're basically going to get going forward. But like, you know, certainly <laughs> like this, this might end up being the issue, the issue of the dot LRs I like the most. I mean, we'll see. I, I just, I just have no interest of in reading about the order of the web, but that's maybe I'm just being a, a party pooper here. Well, you know, Mark, that wouldn't be a, a, a random occurrence of pooping some parties. I do not mean to get licks in because I don't really feel any animus in that regard. Next up, we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 51. That's Legacy 852 for those of you counting at home. And God knows we know you are. It's written by Nick Spencer with art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. A cover also by... Patrick Gleason and Edgar Delgado, and this issue was first released on October 28th, 2020. We're back to the proper story, Mark. I don't know if it's a hard swerve, you know, a continuation of the story, but um, moving into some unexpected territory, I thought. Yeah, I, 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 I do want to just quickly throw out there, Dan, that you totally gave yourself all the easy names uh, in terms of the creators. And I, I will remember that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, taking notes. First of all, I mean, like, you know, I know like we selectively talk about covers when it comes to our reviews, but goddamn, is there like a better cover of Amazing Spider-Man in the last couple of years than what freaking Patrick Gleason and Delgado put together here? Yeah, no, I don't think so. And I think we're going to be repeating that phrase over and over and over again as the next few issues roll out here, because um, you're not kidding. I mean, this thing is a stunner. You know, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, all these designs. I mean, eat your heart out here. We've even got this weird, almost like gravestone like name down at the bottom of the screen, which I thought was interesting or not the screen, the the comic. I mean, this is one of those I was excited to grab off the wall. And this is the kind of thing that would have made me like if this was a first comic I was picking out at the store. Why wouldn't you pick this one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, judging a book by its cover, you know, this this book looks really exciting and unique and different and and like i don't think i like this quite as much as i did the last issue of amazing but like this is this story is 
different and I, I'm, I'm, I'm digging how unique this is in terms of both the structure and kind of some of the themes that are being hit on and, and how Spencer is going about doing it. I mean, let's get into it here, Dan, but like, you know, I feel like this cover kind of sets the tone for what we're getting into here. And, and it's a cool tone. Like, like I don't, it's been a while since we've had a Spidey book like this. I mean, like I'm, I'm, you know, we, we get heavy references to the J. Michael Straczynski run throughout this issue. And I feel like that's probably the most appropriate, you know, analogy that could be made in terms of like, when was the last time the book kind of took on a tone like this? Although, you know, I don't think there were ever, ever any JMS issues that had covers quite as attractive as this. Cause like at that point it was usually, I know JRJR <laughs> was doing the art, but like the covers were either uh, what Kane Andrews or um, J Scott Campbell or anything, you know what I mean? Like JRJR never actually did the covers during that run. So I know it's the one shame of that run. I know people love some of the covers from that run and there certainly are good ones, but boy, would I love that run to have JRJR covers. Hey, you know, speaking of tone on, on the cover of this issue, uh, I want to speak of literal tone because I think they used up all the colors from this entire issue for the cover because the rest of it, I mean, this is tonally, it's a bleak issue. I mean, we're keeping in this territory of the last one is like things are dark not only is Peter kind of crawling his way out of the gutter, you know, literally here, but he's really put through the ringer with like demons and dreamscapes and more horror stuff. And I really enjoyed like almost all of it. And, you know, I, 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 you know, Patrick Gleason is more than up to the task of handling all these great, bizarre tonal shifts throughout the book, whether we're getting like Ditko esque, uh, you know, astroplane stuff for a brief second, you know, to JRJR homages. This book was just a feast for the eye. I, I, I don't want to like, uh, normally we, we, we hold off on the art, you know, save for a small bit, but uh, you know, th- there is no denying between this issue and the previous issue, this Patrick Gleason guy is unstoppable. I mean, he can balance tone better than almost anybody I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm, I am 100% with you there. And, and yeah, I mean, in terms of the bleakness, yeah, I mean, like it's definitely not a colorful book, but like at the same token, like the, the, the visuals are, you know, I mean, obviously we've had dark, tonally dark Spider-Man books before, but this, like this, this, again, this feels different. This feels like it's kind of a mishmash of psychological Spider-Man, but also fittingly like a Dr. Strange book from, you know, the seventies even, you know, and I'm not even talking about current Dr. Strange. I mean, I'm like, you know, like, let's like, like, let's go back to like, you know, the old school Dr. Strange or even, I mean, maybe not Ditko Strange, but like, you know, kind of like the, the stuff that, that, that followed Ditko, you know, we, we have this really psychologically effed up um, stuff with like demonic silk here. I mean, you know, like, it's probably the most I've I've been into silk in maybe ever. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is this is this is some you know this is some serious stuff here, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm into it, but I also have questions that I don't want answers for. Like, there's this green tentacle that's coming out of like what looks like Silk's butt and wrapping <laughs> around Spider-Man's face, and I both want to know what it is and don't want to know what it is. And I'm sure Peter feels the same way. But yeah, this silk is 
horrifying and a real force to be reckoned with. And, and even more so that it is kindred taunting Spider-Man throughout. It, it is not Silk, very clearly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we talked about this in the in the LR issue, but I feel like this was hammered home much more over the head here. I mean, like, you know, you got Silk calling uh, Spidey Pete and, you know, like and then we have like the confess sequence where, you know, Silk is like yelling, imploring Spider-Man to confess his sins. And it's like and then even like Spider-Man <laughs> kind of makes the mistake of thinking it's the Sin Eater and 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 Kindred is like, oh, come on. <laughs> like I, I, I'm that he was a, he was a patsy on the main event. And I'm like, like, so you're getting like this kind of dark humor attached to it. But also like, I mean, you know, in terms of talking through the character, I mean, like this is much more directly Kindred. And frankly, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier in this episode, like, this is Kindred, and it sounds very much like Harry. Can I propose a naming convention for these demon versions of the characters? Can we call them Demo Silk? Dan, I'll let you get away with whatever you want here. It's your, it's your, it's your, it's your time right, to name. Right. Are we going to have like Demo Miles and Demo Gwen too? I, we already do now. It's official. All right. Those are the names. All now. right. What did you think about the uh, confess moment? Because I thought it was interesting because Peter kind of like freezes up and slumps his shoulders. He's like kind of caught up in his guilt. And he says, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Just don't hurt them. And again, we get this going back to the innocence of friends. Don't hurt my friends. And he keeps talking about guilt, 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 guilt. And you don't really hear the word responsibility until he makes a speech in front of Dr. Strange, that's like rousing, speechifying. And, you know, I wonder if we're going to play in that territory of the idea of guilt and responsibility and like which one is Peter really the servant to? Is he a servant to responsibility or to guilt? And was bringing Aunt May back from the dead a result of guilt or responsibility? Did he did he break responsibility by doing and making that deal with the devil to favor his guilt. And, and using those words so often to me really kind of put that idea in my head. That's a great point you just made. And I think kind of to, to, to even drill a little deeper than that. I mean, when you, when you think about responsibility, you know, you, there, there is a, a selflessness to responsibility. I mean, there's a nobility to it. Where when you're responding to guilt, it's 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 a more internalized emotion. It's it kind of comes forth from shame. It's more selfish. Even even if you you know even if your guilt is a recognition of something you did wrong, the thing is like it's 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 an it's a more internalized emotion for the person, and thus you know and considering that we have kindred talking about. Spider-Man, Peter's selfishness and and whatnot. I I I feel like you that point you just made. I mean, that's that's a that's a really great point that I think is going to be drilled home a lot over the course of these next few issues. Here, it's like you know, guilt versus responsibility. Guilt guilt is a is a far more selfishly motivated emotion versus responsibility, which is you know has more noble intentions behind it. I would say. So we get this big rousing speech from Peter to Dr. Strange, who just kind of like <laughs> throws it away. Well, uh, the joke that Strange kept saying, this uh, is like my, serious my... face. I, I'm not remembering it right now. I forget the exact word. Oh, um, it was, but it yeah, was, I mean, it, it, it was, was a well funny. done joke that I'm misremembering. <laughs> 
So then, oh, ominous is the word. That's right. Ominous. This is my ominous face, or this is not my ominous face. <laughs> I agree with you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange decides to pull out the good old hand of Vishanti, which is, has been, I guess, on vacation from this book for a while. Who knows what the hand gets up to? I'm not going to go down that uh, that road. <laughs> but uh, that that that's back from Amazing Spider-Man Volume Two, Number Forty Two where uh, Spider-Man used it to gain access to the astral plane and deal with Shade, the, like, giant... She wasn't a moth. She was a... Like a wasp, right? A wasp? That's it, yeah. And that was kind of an interesting thing where, you know, Peter was in the astral plane in issue 42, and then in issue 49 he went back because his actions in issue 42 attracted this wasp character but any, anyway so they're trying to send spider-man to kindred using the hand of vishanti but it doesn't work for reasons that dr strange won't say but he says there were arrangements made and uh then he kicks him out of the sanctum centaurum and mark i'm going to trigger a new uh, alarm so here we go sound effect for this it's a one more day alarm That's the alarm. <laughs> keep, keep it in, Rick. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, that. Thank you, Mark, for providing that. That will. That is. Uh, you pay good money for that. Oh, I'm being corrected here. Shade is the dude. Shathra is the wasp. Yes, two similar characters. Mark, I, I'm throwing up the one more day here, and this is me trying to save some face. I'll admit. But I think that this book is like, I think we're going to both end up right by the end of this book about who Kindred is. Because I think that uh, Kindred is Harry Osborne, but the marriage is the linchpin of this whole thing. And I think this book only continues to lean into that as the uh, pages turn. And this is the thing that's like, look, I couldn't be more clear. One more day is coming up in the rest of this book. I mean, I have to think that that's how you read this too. Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, I mean, between kind of Strange's like very ominous, like, wait, did you? And then whoosh, out of the sanctum. I was like, wait, what? What is he, he going to say? You know, like it's like always, always with the vagaries, right? Like, you know, the fact that Peter is kind of withholding all this information. This is this is clearly one more day territory. We, we are, we're, we're both going to, I think, be proven right in one facet or another dan but the fact is like it is no coincidence that kindred's first appearance in these books was in the same exact issue where peter and mj reunited and and like that that to me says it all in terms of it's intrinsically being tied to one more day i mean like this is all related in one way or another and we're, we got clearly what about 10 issues worth of content where we're going to flesh it out uh, so have at it nick spencer but like yeah i mean we're we're we're, we're after 13 years we're we're, we're not only going to touch that third rail we are we are driving right on top of it now and i'll have you note that nick spencer invoked the exact phrase third rail in his interview with cbr he is just as keen on it as we are at observing that he wants to go and reach out and touch it. I mean, haven't we all been in the New York subway and just thought, maybe I'll give it a try? I don't want to get like too too deep in thought here, Dan, but like when you think about it, like when they did One More Day, like that was 
13 years removed from the clone saga, which was like one of those things where it was like, oh, they can't they can't possibly ever talk about the clone saga again. Right. And and then they did it and it was fine and we all survived. So it's like we are, we're 13 years removed from the story now. Like it's going to come up again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a major thing. And yeah, it was. Very controversial at the time. And, you know, I'm sure there were people at Marvel who were like, oh, we can't we can't we can't do this again. You know, we got to let it run its course. But like it's run its course now. Like now it's time. It's time to get back into it. And this seems to be the story that's going to get back into it. So buckle up, people. It's it's one more daytime. So we get a flashback reveal, this great reveal that Peter actually has the hand of Ashanti because he wisely withheld this from both us and Dr. Strange that he went to Black Cat's place and recruited her in, I think, a really fun reveal. I love the way Gleason renders Black Cat both as like a normal person, although she just seems to be lounging around her apartment in her costume. Her outfit is like shiny and leathery, and it's a really like kind of beautiful design. You know, Edgar Delgado and, and, and Gleason kind of cooked up. And then like the next page, she just transforms right into a Terry Moore, Adam Hughes drawing. I mean, this guy can like do anything. This beautiful black cat splash. You know, if I'm one to engage in the, the Felicia Hardy lusting. And I love that this references the black cat solo series where she did actually break into the Sanctum Centaurum just like about, I don't know, six, seven months ago. Probably more than that now that we had the whole COVID delay thing. So, like, I, I thought this was a great way to integrate this character back in and a fun reveal that I didn't see coming. And, uh, yeah, Black Cat, can't get enough of her. What do you think? I mean, I would actually say, I mean, to your point, you know, your joke about the lusting. I mean, like, I, I like it's it's like I felt like Felicia looks great here, but like it wasn't like kind of the, the easy cheesecaking that we sometimes get with the character. Like like this, this was this was just a beautifully rendered character female character and you know like i didn't think it like it was too overdone where you know it was kind of playing up to the horny masses i don't know i i, I that's that's my take maybe 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 i have a i have a i have a, I have a cold heart here dan i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so that was really fun and so of course they then as amateurs try to access the astro plane which like not something i'd advise necessarily you know, Peter gets kind of like transported into this dreamscape, which like I I knew I recognized it, but I didn't know where. And then someone in the slack reminded me, no, that's from issue uh, 46 from volume two or 487. If you want to go by legacy numbering with that JRJR art transport transposed in there. What a cool reference. I mean, what can you say? Spencer did his homework. Yeah, I mean. We, we, and I mean, you know, these fittingly, I mean, these are Dr. Strange issues. So, I mean, like if you're going to, if you're going to kind of capture the, the Spider-Man Dr. Strange relationship and their, their events, I mean, I, you would pull from these issues. Cause I don't feel like we got a lot of Spidey Dr. Strange stuff until the JMS run, frankly, you, you had texted me, Dan, right after this issue came out. Oh, you need to read amazing. You kept saying 487. I'm like, wait, what? And you're like, you know, 46, volume two. I'm like, the JMS issue? You're like, yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I, I had never been so confused. And then when I finally read it, and then I went back and read, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, deep cut for sure. But 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 
a sensible deep cut. Like this isn't like, I don't feel this was too navel gazing in terms of like reaching back here. Like it, it made sense. Yeah. I mean, immediately I thought of like superior Spider-Man number nine, one of the first issues we ever reviewed on the show and thought like, okay, it's similar to that. But I mean, this is much more explicit. I mean, panel to panel, this is a straight up homage. Um, did you get anything out of reading, you know, that issue again? Are there any parallels or like, uh, like reasons for like why to reference this other than just like a visual thing? I think it was just visual. Although, I mean, I guess we will see as the story progresses, but like I, I, I didn't upon rereading both. And I, I, I literally did it immediately after reading this issue. I, I went into Marvel unlimited and read 46 again. And I was like, no, I mean, it was a mostly visual. I didn't, I didn't really get anything thematically that I would hold on to going into the story, but still it's a, it's a fun, fun thing to have reference for sure. There were a couple things I wanted to note in, in that issue, like uh, uh, because Peter has kind of infected this space and MJ is on his mind. Every person in this like dream New York has MJ's face. This also comes at a time where MJ's kind of movie career is back up and running or kind of falling apart. And she's doing that movie with Lobster Man, which is a personal favorite. It's a character I wish would reappear as this kind of one-off goofy movie that MJ did. But I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, uh, this comes after the doomed affairs issue, which we've talked about on the show, where Peter and MJ are kind of like uh, reconciling their relationships and, and, and these series of events are keeping them apart. And that's kind of a similar place to where we find them, you know, at this current status quo. So I, I thought that was kind, kind of interesting. Now, what else about the kind of Peter MJ dynamic in this dreamscape that you find interesting here, Dan, because there's, there's a key moment here, right? Yeah. Well, this goes to something that you've been talking about. And now we've kind of both been talking about for a while, which is that like MJ shows up and Peter immediately starts referring to her like as a dream, which is literal in this, in this instance. But he says something weird. He says like, she's a dream, but I can't feel it. It feels real in some way. Like, I don't really know what, what that means. I thought that was really interesting. Do you have any take on that, Mark? I mean, it's a weird turn of phrase. It, it is a weird turn of phrase. And no, I, I I, don't have anything to add to this except, I mean, if we want to create another alarm, it's the, uh, is is this all a dream alarm? <laughs> you know, is it, is, it the, the, is, it, uh, is it the ending of Newhart reve- uh, reveal alarm? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of how, what's, what's, what exactly is the alarm here? But no, I mean, like, we, we, we are the hearing... Dallas the Dallas alarm? There we go. The da- you know, the who shot JR alarm. Um, but, but seriously, we are, we are getting so much played around with in terms of what what is real and what is not in this book right now and is peter not feeling it here because it's truly truly a dream versus what he's been experiencing prior to this which is based in reality but maybe is a layer removed from it i don't know but let's put a pin in that dan because i think we're going to be coming back to it there's an interesting moment that follows it where you know mj walks towards him and says the answer is yes before like kindred centipedes erupt from her back and swallow them both, pulling them apart. And we explicitly see like an image of their hands being separated from an embrace, which I mean, to me, the answer is yes. It's a response to his proposal, which we saw teased a while back and kindred pulling them apart. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. If, 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 if it didn't say it before, 
this is one more day related. But whether MJ is related to Kindred in some way, I mean, there is something interesting about those centipedes coming out of her back, uh, seemingly, to kind of mirror the images uh, of the final image of this book with uh, you know what we presume is Harry. We had talked about MJ being Kindred a, a few times and how her clothing was all purple colored in her suitcase and stuff. I don't think that's the case, but I, I again, I, I think this is all just to be like leaning really directly into one more day. We we got Kindred appears with the dinner table from hell again. We got Gwen, we got George Stacy, but do we do we really have any true visual cues of who some of these other characters are? Not that I could find out. I know the Slack became alive with conversation about this, <laughs> and I don't think we ever really landed on anything. I mean, I have to assume one of them is Ned Leeds. There's a blonde guy in a suit. You know, maybe one of them is Otto. Like, there's it's the one, one that flash, kind of looks like probably. Hitler in the foreground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, who's probably. the Hitler-looking one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did Spider-Man kill Hitler in in canon somewhere? I, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know. He went back in time and killed baby Hitler, and that was his skeleton. I no, I don't know. I mean, you know, but like, I, I'm assuming one has got to be Flash. I, I didn't see anybody that looked like Charlemagne. <laughs> Jean DeWolf was she supposed? Was there anyone with a beret in there? I don't even. Know. <laughs> I didn't see one. Yeah. Oh, was uh, um, was the one so with the mustache like, I mean, maybe James? Was the one with the mustache maybe Jameson Senior? That's entirely possible. You know, I think that's a good guess. I have a question for you though, Mark. What was curious to me is that we get this kind of Craven's last hunt imagery of like Peter crawling out of a grave. And, and to, and my question is, is this in physical reality? Like, cause we've seen this graveyard before, like, is this a pocket dimension or did he literally crawl out of a grave and crawl into some mausoleum where all these bodies are? Because, you know, in the previous issue, we had seen the very real world corpses of these characters being dug up. So, like, was this trip through the dreamscape just some kind of teleportation thing? And he's now back in reality with all these characters? Not to cop out here, Dan, but I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, like, I I, I felt, I, I don't know, I my sense was that this was still not on the physical plane, but... I could be proven wrong very quickly within two pages of the next issue. You know what I mean? But like I, my sense was, no, this was not real, real. This was uh dream real. Well, very cool. Uh, Mark, we've been at this for a long time. My cats are getting antsy. So, uh, <laughs> well, we can't have that. Um, <laughs> uh, what, let's get to our grades, Mark. Uh, what, what you got for this book? I mean, okay. I, I I'm going to give this a B. That's not to say I didn't like it, I but I, I did say outright at the beginning I liked it a little less than the first issue of this of this arc, which I gave a B plus if memory serves. But like again, like I, I I feel like this book is turning around dramatically the last few issues. I, I am definitely into this arc even more so than than Hunted. I still have a few reservations in terms of where this is all going, but I feel like the more we talked about this issue, you kind of dulled those reservations, I guess. So it's a B, but it's a, it's a very it's a very positive tilting B. How about you? Very cool, Mark. For me, I know I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here because I gave a B plus to the last one, and I think these are on the same par. But I really like the Spider Man focus to this issue versus the last one, which I felt like kind of operated outside of his territory. And so for for me, this one was an A minus. I thought this is one of the you know. Like, and this boulder is going downhill. It's only getting better for me. And uh, I've never been more excited to like go pick up another Spider-Man comic 
I'm I'm thrilled by this this arc so far. So in that level of hype, I'm giving it an A minus. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Um, no, 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 that's good. Uh, don't hold it against me. Well, of course, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. And our artwork comes handcrafted by Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until we're joined by Lobster Man in the dreamscape, which I hope to do tonight, (laughs) what's our motto? Our motto, of course, Dan, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. The next installment.